This episode of Gareth Jones on Speed is produced by Sakon Yamamoto of the Hispania Race. Oh God, he started too early. As you join us on Gareth Jones on Speed, the usual conversation of Apple software is already taking place before we instantly change gear and start talking about cars. Hello, I'm Gareth, he's Zog. Hello. And he's the newly married Richard Porter. Hey, hello. Thank you. Was the wedding a motoring experience? Well, in as much as you two were there. <laughs> and um, uh, official friend O. Gareth Jones on speed, Johnny Smith, was there. He likes cars. So, yeah, I guess so. I don't recall anyone being in much of a fit state to drive, however. No. So. Quite a few people did say, oh, you know, what's your wedding car? You must be turning up at the venue in something flash. But the truth is that because we got married in central London, it wasn't like we did the country church where people would actually sort of see you leaving in something. It was all in one place. We got married and then we had a big party. So, so you no left car. in the gee whiz, but. <laughs> <laughs> the, the train that your missus was wearing on her lovely bridal outfit there. Left on the train. Oh, yeah. Never, <laughs> we just put it on the tube. A separate vehicle. <laughs> no, we, we decided to push the boat out, so I called the posher of the two minicab firms near where we live, and they sent a 1999 Nissan Primera. Class. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I called in a favour from Audi, who run a big chauffeur fleet uh, that does a lot of movie premieres and stuff in London. So they lent us an A8 with a driver that took us back to our hotel in the evening, which is a lovely touch. Thank you to the man at Audi, who I saw very soon after I proposed to my now wife. And he said, ooh, if you ever need a chauffeur-driven car for your wedding, then give me a ring. And I thought, well, he was going to regret that offer. And sure enough, he did, because I did give him a ring. (laughs) And uh, and he he lent me one of his cars. So in comparison to one of the happy days we've all enjoyed recently your wedding was a wonderful wonderful thing hmm. how happy were we when Alonso won at Monza Zog actually we may not be the biggest Alonso fans in this room but Ferrari at Monza I wasn't unhappy to see him win it's like uh, Hitler really, than was... Nuremberg isn't it you, want, you know it's got to be right <laughs> <laughs> you're just laughing at my expression aren't you because <laughs> Uh, Here's the thing. The very definition of nonplussed. <laughs> Much as I would have loved Hamilton not to have taken himself out in that slightly <clears throat> reckless way, and much as I would have loved Button's magnificence to have continued right to the end mm, of yeah. the race, I want my guys to beat worthy competition. I don't want my yeah. guys to beat people who are losers. And what you saw with Alonso and Ferrari, there, they upped their game for Monza, and we had a hell of a race. I'm sorry that Hamilton didn't win it. I'm sorry that Button didn't win it. But we had a hell of a race and that's the main thing yeah I think if you like F1 you've followed Formula 1 for years it's hard not to like the idea of Ferrari's winning at Monza because I don't know it's just one of those things that sort of seems nice and I think even if you're not a Ferrari fan you can appreciate that it's a very important thing for them in the same way that it's important for Lewis Hamilton or Jensen Button or any British driver to win at Silverstone yeah. you know? yeah. and I hope that people yeah. you don't um, it, who don't yeah. support those drivers or who maybe in other countries can appreciate the specialness of it in the same way you know great for Mark Webber to win in Melbourne it goes on but in my view these days Ferrari are a bunch of duplicitous rule bending whining over dramatic histrionic pompous idiots and I'm saying the word idiot because the other word I want to say is extremely rude and you'll only bleep it. Go on. See? And um, and on the similar note, I think Fernando Alonso is a whining, spoiled, backstabbing, he, selfish... Yeah, he is. I'm yeah. going to say it again. Just give me some clean air so you can bleep it. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great. You were right. I had to bleep that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's a hell of a driver, you know. Well, he is. Uh, I know, you know, but that doesn't stop him being. Well, I've always said well, again, yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. He, okay, you know, he's dastardly. He's the. Uh, he's no, the, he's I, the hooded oh, crawl. No, 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 no. But what I mean is, you know, he's okay. You, you, there's a bit of the pantomime villain about him, and that's not just because he looks remarkably like Sacha Baron Cohen doing his <laughs> actual real pantomime villain, villain bit in Sweeney's Todd. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, yeah. he does look just like him. He, yeah, he really yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really does. You're right, he's a pantomime villain, but that bit where he actually pulls up in part Fedme, gets out of the car and throws the smoke bomb, and the bo- <laughs> <laughs> that's pushing it a little bit too I, far. I gather that they couldn't put enough Nomex into his cape to make it safe, so it's not that anymore. The opera cape, uh, yeah, But yeah, your, yeah. your point about him being a good driver, he is, on his day, a very good driver. Let's not take that away from him. But grudgingly begrudging. given that. No, he is a good driver, driver. and do you know what? Actually, the sport would be poorer if he wasn't there because I always think that if you care very much about Formula 1 you want those ups and downs those highs and lows you want the people you cheer on but you also need your villains so actually the pantomime villain point is very moot because to me he's a pantomime villain actually he, I would class him just as a villain I, like, I think Michael Schumacher who let's be honest has done some disgraceful things not least recently trying yeah. to run Barrichello into yeah, the wall yeah, yeah. but I see him somehow as more pantomime because he seems to have a degree, just a degree of humility. Well, and he dresses so badly. I well, mean, there's that. Right. He's literally a comedy <laughs> figure. But. Well, yeah. well, talking of villains, it was nice to have Flav back in the paddock there very briefly. Did anyone understand a word he said? What was he doing there? Uh, I must admit, I got, I got up so late on Sunday that I only got to the TV and started watching the coverage just at the moment that Martin Brundle was leaving Flav in the pit lane, so right. I can't cast any light on that at all. Well, he was almost indecipherable, what he was saying I mean at the best of times Flav is hard to fathom but this time I, I mean he's lost it completely we were talking just this morning I was talking to somebody who works in Formula 1 they don't work for a team but they're just the part of the, the sort of circus that follows it around in the media saying that it was amazing that Flav was there and he said well you know the thing is that in Formula 1 world it's like there are a lot of cheats and just most of them haven't been caught yet. Yeah. So mm. they don't really see Flav as a villain, they just see him as the unlucky one who got caught. Yeah. So for a great many people, and not all of them, but a great many people in the paddock, they're just kind of, hey, Flav's back, you know. They know him, because they're mm. a fairly tight group of teams that travel around the world, and they just think it's unfortunate that he did something so crass in his bending of the rules that he got collared for it. But that doesn't make him necessarily bad, because in some way everybody has always tweaked the edge of the rules it's anyway. Job. It's their job. Yeah. So they don't think of him. I mean, yes, what he did was un- unbelievably stupid, but maybe we on the outside regard him as more of a villain than they do. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing clearly, we were talking about... But, sorry. Well, that, which then gets you on the sort of... Ferrari and recent uh, World Motorsport Council yeah. decision. It's uh, I don't know if that's where you were heading, but um, I believe that. I think Christian Horner's point was very well made. That it seems to suggest that if you want to break the rules, or if you want to break that rule, go ahead and do it as long as you can afford the hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's that's the charge. Right, um, yeah, yeah. Now, which for a Formula One team is is I don't know, like going a couple of front uh, wings. Yeah, uh, well, it's yeah, just, just like it's like you and me going. So, uh, Zog, I tell you what, you can punch me in the face, but I'll have to ask you to give me twenty p afterwards. Yeah. Going, Do you know what? I think I've Actually, got twenty p because. It, that's what it yeah. is to a Formula One team, isn't it? It's, it's, exactly. it's uh, almost that's actually what Fernando Alonso earns every day, yeah. uh, as Rima yeah. would have it. 
Seriously, well, it's really yeah, if, worked you, it out. If, if well, it depends yeah. what you whether you believe what his salary is. But yeah. the general consensus is that it is in the region of um, oh. I can't remember how many million dollars it would be now. It works out to about hundred grand a day. Yeah, well, if you're earning ten million a year, which is you know going to be roughly where it is, that's roughly a million a month, mm. or a magnitude a bit more, maybe a million divided by thirty, thirty thousand. Yeah. It's not a lot of money for Ferrari and. I think what Christian Horner probably wanted to say but couldn't is the other thing is if you want to break the rules in Formula 1 or at least bend them to the extreme and insult the intelligence of all fans then just make sure you're Ferrari. Monsieur Dominicali's World Motorsport Council has examined the damning Ferrari of almost non-existent evidence against your team and we are disgusted Ferrari fairly unhappy Ferrari we are delighted with what we have seen the sport of Formula 1 is entirely sullied by Ferrari compromise Ferrari Honored? Ferrari! Aroused? Carry on! By your presence, and we have no option but to fine you $100. Ferrari! $100,000? Oh, damn it! Yes, Petrol! We got a on speed! So, the result of Ferrari being hauled before the World Motorsport Council is nothing whatsoever, which I was genuinely surprised by. I genuinely thought that they were going to get some sort of heavy fine for it, more than a fine, some sort of penalty, a points penalty. It's part of the drama. F1 can take it, you see. That's the truth of it, in my Mm. opinion, that because F1 is so huge, its history is so long, that the big fighters like Ferrari being hit with big penalties is something that F1 can take. Even Ferrari is not bigger than F1, is the argument. But they didn't, for whatever their reasons. They said they couldn't prove it. Well, really? Yeah. Yeah, Really? Yeah, well, their reasons are surely that they don't think that the rule is one that they, you know, they don't think the rule is worth having. They think it's a rule that should be removed. They they, they, they said they're going to look at it. But... Wasn't there a similar... I do absolutely take the argument that team orders have always happened, they always will happen. Maybe the best thing to do is not to ban them and have some other way of hammering teams if they do something that offends fans so much, something so unsporting as... Austria 2002, you have a bringing the sport into disrepute Mm. rule or whatever. I absolutely can go with an argument, but if you have a rule, you shouldn't force it. Exactly. Um, See, I have no problem with team rules. I believe team rules should be allowed. But as the rule stands, I think we've had this conversation, as the rule stands... It's not allowed, yeah. and yet they and they were clumsy in the way that they they did it as well. well yeah, it? that's the thing. It was it was as we've talked about the show before, just the absolute unsubtlety of it, and then yeah. the, the the constant claim to this day that um, they were merely providing Felipe Massa <laughs> with information. Were they really? Mm. It's the Derek Bentley thing. <laughs> Get all over again if you remember that. And yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, uh, let him have it. Yeah, let him have it, Chris. Led to, to, to Britain's last, last hanging, didn't yeah, it? Which, uh, yeah. um, <laughs> that's a cheery thought. And um, But yes, I, just providing him with information is just absolute. Bollocks. Yeah, and, it, and it just, it's just an insult to Everyone's it's just an insult intelligence. to intelligence to yeah. you know to have that line trotted out. You know, you you know, you it's it's absolutely obvious what they were doing and, the, uh, so why, we, why we, did they get away with it well one of the things that, that sort of subsequently and I think this was sort of brought up in the coverage around the hearing or the trial whatever you want to call it was 
that Rob Smedley's radio contact at the end of the race, that was very magnanimous, Felipe. You won't know what that means, I'll explain it to you later. And it seemed like that was, well, that's, there's the final admission of guilt. But actually, mm. in the ruling, they regarded that, and this is probably deliberate, he said, the reason Smedley said this, as actually an example of it was Felipe's decision. He suggested decision. free will yeah. on exactly. Felipe's part rather exactly. than following the instruction. Yeah. OK. And does magnanimous translate into Italian directly? I think. Uh, As an aside, one, but... whenever if you're a car journalist in this country, whenever you review uh, a Ferrari or a Maserati, the uh, they're, they're quite neurotic about the coverage of their cars and very very precious about them. They hate to be slagged off. Everything that's written in British magazines is is almost immediately translated into Italian and sent back to the factory so it can be dissected and make sure. So if you are a car journalist and you ever find yourself writing about a Ferrari or a Maserati, use lots of long, very complicated words. It makes it a nightmare for them. Hang on, hang on. This is If this gets back to them, I'm going to do something that they've probably never had to do before. Right. Mar Ferrari, Petwar Pimpoeth, Nowith, Magenava, Anverth, or Probable, get a chance in Coddy or or Dan Rolwinion Tinol Agarline Akair Right, work that one out Red, white and green people Commandatore, I have intercepted a part of the cast in England that is talking about our cars. Well, uh, what do they say? Uh, they say uh, 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 something about uh, dragons and a uh, close harmony singing and call and also burning down my holiday cottage. I'm starting to worry that we're repeating ourselves in a kind of a Groundhog Day thing here on this programme. But once again, I'm reporting that Nico Rosberg did better than Michael Schumacher. <laughs> and I'm not picking on Michael Schumacher at all, because I think Schumacher was the right choice for Mercedes, because he's such a great development driver. I know there's not testing, so you need that kind of development feedback from a quality driver like him. I think Mercedes mm. made absolutely the right choice. He just isn't as quick as Nico Rosberg we really know that now, and we really know that the car is fine because Nico's doing reasonable with it. You know, I, sorry, I'm banging on about this, mm. but, but you're right. Schumacher's demise is slow and tortured. I think. I think it's it's becoming painful now. But Pedro de la Rosa's demise is pretty quick, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah you know, one minute you're standing there in the team, the next you've jumped over a fence into a river. <laughs> or is that no? That was that was when he was at Jack. Um, he um, well remember. He, yeah. Does everyone remember that, or is it just me that found it the funniest thing that happened in Formula One all that season? Where was it in Malaysia? Was it I think it was. Back? I thought it was in America, wasn't it? Was it? Was, it, was he jumping Ooh. over the pit wall? Was that? Um... He'd retired the car. That Jaguar, you remember, was mostly unreliable, and yes. he'd retired through breakdown somewhere out on the track. And he was standing quite close to the track, and a marshal went, Whoa, Dave, get off the track as quickly as you can. Hey, just jump over that wall. It's a low wall. He vaulted the wall, as, as he was told. <laughs> uh, what he hadn't been told there was a small river on the other side, and he <laughs> fell into it. Yeah, you would think that somewhere in the marshal's thought process, yeah, there might have gone, like, well, I, I'm going to tell yeah. you to move from there, but um, yeah. where are you going to go? You're either going to go onto the track or that way. And that, <laughs> I don't know. He's... Well, maybe as a trained safety professional, he'd assessed the risks and decided that Pedro de la Rosa falling into a river. <laughs> 
wearing a race suit and carrying a crash helmet was safer than him getting run over. I don't well, know. Rosa in a race car on the track. What? Well, that was clearly the, the, the worst case scenario. Pedro de la Rosa continuing to drive that awful Jaguar around. But anyway, we were saying he is out he's, of. He's vaulted over vaulted his over final pit wall. Into the river of not driving. Yeah. And washed downstream is Nick Kill the Wabbit. Kill the Wabbit Heidfeld, who's getting yet another chance to drive for Sauber, having driven for them previously for over 300 years, mm. I believe, in two separate occasions previously. Yeah. yeah. So uh, is that a good decision? I mean, well, you know, they, it, it's good for next season. I don't know how useful it is for this season because he was the Pirelli test driver. He was just appointed. He'd well, been freed of his Mercedes. Yeah. Contract. Only just announced. Mm. And I was sort of curious to know whether this was because the Sauber team felt that they could get some kind of march and everyone else by pumping him for information about the new tyres. But mm. they're going to change the, the They're going to change. And yeah. uh, Mark Blundell, um, who, much so I take the mickey out of him, on, uh, yeah, exactly, on Sniff Petrol, but, and who is aware of this now, I discovered I, through Twitter. And bless him, has been tremendously magnanimous about it. And at uh, the point at which he stops being magnanimous, I'll probably stop doing it, because I do like Mark Blundell. And, yeah. and he uh, taught me something this, uh, just this evening on Twitter by saying, yeah, compounds are changing. The tyres they have now will be in no way related to the ones they'll have by the time the season starts. So any information that he might have is pretty much useless. Yeah. Well, in, in any case, if you wanted the Pirelli tyre information, you'd wait till the end of the season to get him on board. Yeah. You know, you'd yeah. let him get as much testing exactly. done as possible. You wouldn't get him now. So, or, actually, so if they, you've got a contract with Pirelli already in place, which you should have, then you'd just ring Pirelli, maybe. They'd help you already. <laughs> yeah, we're still working on it. All right, call us back. They haven't really thought it through, but we, we yeah. wish Nick well. well, well why, yeah, why is he there, though? This is I'll tell you why. Safe pair of hands. Because Nick Heidfeld famously, a few years ago, drove a season for Jordan for free. Do you remember that? He drove for yes. free for Jordan. Because uh, he's worked for so long in F1. Mm. You know, he started off as a Mercedes-contracted driver in F3000. didn't start off there, but, I mean, his final path to F1 was there. So he's been a professional journeyman racing driver for so long. He's a bit like Eddie Irvine. He's just looking after his investments now. and Just having a, a bit of a dabble in F1 just keeps the profile up a bit. So I reckon he's driving for free for Sauber again. And that Pedro de la Rosa was so we're cashing in their air miles or something. They it's something like that. But the yeah, okay, sponsorship you, you on the car. Years, no, you know Pedro de la Rosa could or should have brought sponsorship. It didn't happen. Kobayashi didn't bring sponsorship from Japan. Not that's visible on the car, but maybe there's something going on. But Burger King, we have a Burger King logo mm. on the Sauber every yeah. three or four races. A very prominent one. Yeah. It was, it was, it's <laughs> bizarre, that isn't it? But the thing is that Peter Sauber is. I, I would think quite good at being frugal and I based this on the fact that when I went to the British Grand Prix I was actually in the car park of the hotel I was staying in the night before qualifying day and I saw Peter Sauber and three colleagues three colleagues cramming into a BMW 320D <laughs> and, really? and, and driving presumably off to the track, yeah. And I just thought, wow, that's a frugal choice. It hasn't even got a two-liter engine, isn't it? A three? No, it isn't, is it? The uh, no, three liters is a one point eight turbo diesel. No, I it? think it's two liter. I, I, ooh, they keep mucking around with this. Don't yeah, they? It's a whole separate fair. conversation topic. But yeah. for goodness' sake, yeah. BMW, Mercedes, and to a lesser extent Saab, oh. pull your act together with your advertised engine capacities. And on that note, <laughs> I think it's time to end the show. I think you're very <laughs> right. But, but we do have to talk about Kimmy. Kimmy announces that he might quite like to come and drive for Renault. Good idea. Very quickly, discuss. Will they bin Petrov and all his money? Ooh, let me think about it. 
Not a chance. Will they bin Kubica and all his talent? Uh, not a chance. Kimmy, stick to rallying. Zog, mm. you also have Le Mans news, do you not? From uh, Silverstone. Oh, yeah. Peugeot managed to make up for, to some extent, for their tragedy of Le Mans, mm. where they entirely failed to finish and uh, Audi ran away with it. Silverstone at the weekend, the 1,000-kilometre race in the Le Mans series, Peugeot won it. The lead Audi broke down. Sad to see Alan McNish losing his uh, chance of a victory there, but mm. Peugeot picked it up and Anthony Davidson and Nicholas Menasche. Menasche, yeah. Menasche, the race. And, yeah. Yeah, well done to them. Good to see them getting a good result in this year with that car after uh, what happened at Le Mans. Because Le Mans wasn't just a tragedy. It was a homicide, you know, the not homicide, what's the word? Um, um, Holocaust. Holocaust. No, I don't think that's the word either. No, I don't. <laughs> well, the entire race of Peugeots were wiped out practically. Well, they were. Okay. Literally, the entire race of racing Peugeots were yeah. wiped out. That's a Holocaust, isn't it? Um, um, it's just one of those words I don't, don't, don't like, bandy around with. My second rule of two reference in this show. Blind, I think it's, it's, uh... I'm going to wrap things up before you say something else. However, before we go, can I also just shamelessly plug? I've got a new book. Oh, out. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah, sure, yes. Uh, it's called The Big Book of Top Gear 2011, and it's just a big. It's the third of these silly uh, sort of Top Gear annuals for grown-ups that we do. Gear. It's just full of uh, nonsense about the TV show, and uh, uh, most of it was written by me. Um, Gareth's got a copy, which he's now. Tapping. That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. It's hardback, you so, see. That is a quality item. Just, 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 Hang on, just, have a listen to the page. We're going to read it backwards. Ready? You can hear there's quite a few pages. 128 of them. And every one is different as well. Beautifully illustrated. It's got a lovely, lovely uh, illustration, lovely design work throughout. Um, I didn't do that bit. I just wrote the awful words. But if you like design work, please do buy it. It's in all good bookshops now. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed. Other podcasts are available, as are (laughs) no other copies of the big book of Top Gear 2011, apart from the official one, written by the man, largely, almost, almost exclusively written. Written by the man standing next to me and uh, thoroughly enjoyed by the man standing to the right of me and the man who is me. There was the, no other way out of that sentence. He was Richard. Goodbye. He was Zog. Goodbye. I was Gareth. See you for the next Gareth Jones on Speed. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site or follow us on Twitter, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! Woo! <laughs>